Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Wednesday, July 5th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. Turkey and Egypt mutually reappoint ambassadors. China announces new chip export restrictions. The Kremlin repels a drone attack on Moscow. The Taliban bans beauty salons in Afghanistan. A shooting in Philadelphia leaves five dead. A Russian journalist and lawyer are attacked in Chechnya. Hong Kong issues bounties for eight exiled activists. Meta readies Twitter rival Threads. Three advocacy groups file a complaint against Harvard's legacy admissions. And Toyota announces a battery breakthrough for electric cars. In our top story, Turkey and Egypt reappoint ambassadors. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Al Jazeera, the Times of Israel, and Financial Times. The foreign ministries of Egypt and Turkey announced on Tuesday that they have mutually reappointed ambassadors to each other's capitals, the first time since relations broke down in 2013. In a joint statement, Turkey and Egypt said they seek the renormalization of relations between the two nations. This year, Turkey and Egypt held numerous high-level talks aimed at the restoration of full relations. Relations between Turkey and Egypt were severed in 2013, after current President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi led the military's ouster of then-President Mohamed Morsi. Morsi, a member of Egypt's Muslim Brotherhood, an Islamist political party, had the backing of Turkey, where the ruling government maintains close ties with the Brotherhood. Turkey, suffering from internal economic malaise, has sought to repair relations with many countries in the region, including Israel, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE. Egypt, Bahrain, the UAE, and Saudi Arabia have consistently opposed the Muslim Brotherhood, while Turkey and Qatar remain their most prominent state sponsors. Turkey has asked pro-Morsi media in the country to tone down their criticism of Egypt in recent years. Turkish Foreign Minister Hakan Fidan said following the announcement that he expects relations to improve rapidly in political, economic, and all other fields. In May, the two countries agreed to reinstate ambassadors. All right, on this program, we separate the spin from the facts. Those were the facts. Our first narrative spin is Narrative A from Egypt Today. Turkey and Egypt have shared cultural heritage and strong economic ties, making an eventual rapprochement inevitable. Turkey has been successfully establishing itself as a power player in the Middle East and has been moving full steam ahead to foster good relations with the other countries in the region as old feuds fade away. The future of regional diplomacy is looking bright. The Economist is providing narrative B for this story. Ironically, these overtures made by Turkey are emblematic of Ankara's waning influence. Turkey had once tried to position itself as the primary supporter of the Muslim Brotherhood and political Islam, exporting the ideology to other countries in a bid to become a regional power broker. These efforts have failed, and an economic crisis at home has forced Turkey to make amends with its neighbors, giving up on its middle power dreams. China to restrict exports of key chip metals. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Bloomberg, Reuters, CNN, Asia Financial, and TechWire Asia. China will introduce restrictions on exports of two rare metals, vital for the production of semiconductors and other electronic components, on August 1st, the Chinese Ministry of Commerce announced on Monday. 
This comes amid an escalating China-U.S. technology trade dispute. Citing national security reasons, the ministry said that starting next month, exporters will have to apply for a license to ship the two metals, gallium and germanium, their chemical compounds, and provide detailed information on overseas buyers and intended usage. China produces about 60% of the world's germanium, used primarily in optical fibers, plastics, and infrared radiation, as well as military applications, and about 80% of the world's gallium, used in radar and radio communications devices, satellites, and LEDs. Beijing's step to limit shipments of critical raw materials the EU considers crucial to Europe's economy follows the Netherlands' move to issue new export restrictions on certain semiconductor equipment, also affecting exports from major European, Dutch multinational technology company ASML. Earlier, the Netherlands and Japan agreed with the U.S. to impose tighter export curbs on chip-making equipment after Washington imposed barriers on exports of chip gear made by U.S. companies to China in October per national security protocols. Meanwhile, Washington is reportedly considering new curbs beyond those announced in October, including on the export of certain artificial intelligence chips to China, after the PRC imposed an import ban on products from U.S. chipmaker Micron. Scott, thank you for laying out those facts. Our first spin for this story is a pro-China narrative. It comes from Global Times. Beijing's decision is just the latest chapter in this U.S.-instigated chip war that violates the basic principles of the alleged, quote, free market economy that the collective West likes to promote when it serves their interests. Fearing to lose its technological supremacy and in an effort to prevent China's technological rise, the U.S. doesn't hesitate to pressure its allies and disrupt global supply chains. It is only natural that the PRC, in order to protect its national security interests, takes proactive measures to respond to Washington's tactics of economic coercion. And Bloomberg brings us an anti-China narrative. While Beijing's move underscores China's dominance in critical minerals, it also highlights its vulnerabilities. The decision may backfire as it may speed up efforts by the U.S. and its allies to reduce their reliance on China by diversifying their supply chains. Implementing export curbs also threatens China's market dominance by increasing the West's efforts to tap other supply sources. That said, and given China's mounting economic woes and the potentially negative national security implications, Beijing has more to lose from an escalating chip war than the U.S. Metaculous prediction community is giving us a nerd narrative. They say there's a 15% chance that the U.S. and China will be at war before the year 2035. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't know who I feel worse for, China, or really I feel bad for Germany. I mean, that, that, that's a tough one. <laughs> it really that's is. That's their element. Come it on. It really is. You know, it's funny because uh, Germany is now the world's top producer of China. Which is really oh, crazy. I mean, right. <laughs> fine plates and dishes. Yes. <laughs> the Kremlin repels a drone attack on Moscow. And here are the facts as agreed upon by TASS and the Associated Press. Ukraine launched a drone attack on the Russian capital of Moscow on Tuesday, temporarily forcing the closure of an international airport in the city's southwest. Russia's defense ministry said all five drones deployed by Ukraine were downed, stating that four were shot down by missile defenses, while the last was forced down using electronic warfare capabilities. 
Emergency service crews told Russian media that debris from one drone fell on the territory of a military facility in Kubinka without causing damage, while debris from another struck an outbuilding in a village in the new Moscow region, sparking a fire that has since been extinguished. There are no reports of casualties at this stage. Meanwhile, flight restrictions were imposed on Moscow's Nukovo International Airport at 5.10 a.m. local time, but it had resumed operations by 8 a.m., local officials said. According to a source in Russian media, 14 flights were diverted away from the airport at this time. Commenting on the attack, Maria Zakharova, Russia's foreign ministry spokeswoman, described it as an act of terrorism. She said, quote, an attempt by the Kyiv regime to attack an area where civilian infrastructure facilities are located, including an airport, which, by the way, also receives foreign flights, is yet another terrorist attack. The global community should realize that the U.S., the U.K., and France, permanent members of the U.N. Security Council, are financing a terrorist regime. Ukrainian officials who typically do not comment on attacks inside Russia did not claim responsibility for the drone attack. Meanwhile, in the past day, Russia also continued its missile and drone attacks on Ukraine. On Monday, three civilians were killed and 21 were injured following a drone attack in the Sumy region. Ukrainian President Zelensky said the attack also damaged the regional headquarters of the Security Service of Ukraine, the country's main intelligence agency. Pro-Russian narrative on this story comes from TASS. This attack from Ukraine targeting civilian infrastructure that includes an international airport is the latest demonstration of Kyiv's use of terrorism. Western states are continuing to aid and abet this terrorist regime. The pro-Ukraine narrative comes from Pravda. Russia's war on Ukraine's civilians continued this week with the drone attack in Sumy, which claimed the lives of three people and injured 21 more. Ukraine must fight Russia to rid the world of this evil. And from time to time, we have statistics-based nerd narratives brought to us by the Metaculous Prediction community. This one says there's a 10% chance there will be a bilateral ceasefire or peace agreement in the Russo-Ukraine conflict before the year 2024. The Taliban bans women's beauty salons in Afghanistan. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, The Hill, Al Jazeera, The Economic Times, and Reuters. On Tuesday, the Taliban-run Vice and Virtue Ministry confirmed an order requiring all hair and beauty salons in Afghanistan to be shut down within a month. In a letter dated June 24th, the ministry reportedly said it conveyed a verbal order, which mandates businesses to submit a report about their closure from Afghanistan's supreme leader, Haibatullah Akhundzada. The order follows recent dictates barring Afghan women from public spaces, including parks and gyms, or working for the UN. Thousands of women have reportedly been fired from government jobs or are being paid to stay at home. The Taliban, which says they respect women's rights in line with Islamic law and the customs of Afghanistan, closed a majority of girls' high schools and banned women from going to university in 2022. Beauty salons surfaced in Afghanistan months after the Taliban were ousted in late 2001 following the 9-11 attacks in the U.S., and many remained open even after the group returned to power two years ago. Thank you, Scott. Newsgram gives us the first spin. It's Narrative A. What limited hope that existed when the Taliban returned to power has all but disintegrated as the group continues to repress women and their rights in an un-Islamic manner. 
Islam gives equal rights to both men and women, and if this had been respected by the Taliban, it could have been possible to avoid the growing isolation from the outside world. And narrative B comes from Bakhtar News. Concerns and criticisms by the UN in many Western states are baseless and simply propaganda. Like everyone else, the rights of women and girls in Afghanistan are based upon Islamic law and will continue to be so. Current international condemnation doesn't match the facts and the reality of life in the Islamic Emirate. And we have a nerd narrative coming from Metaculous Prediction Community. It says that there's a 47% chance that Taliban-controlled Afghanistan will be used as a base for anti-NATO terrorism by 2026. Horrible news coming out of Philadelphia as five have been killed and two injured as a gunman opens fire. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Inquirer, Fox News, BBC News, The Epoch Times, Forbes, and CNN. Five people, all male, were killed in southwest Philadelphia on the eve of the U.S. July 4th holiday after a gunman opened fire at random shortly before 8.30 p.m. local time on Monday. Additionally, two children aged 2 and 13 are being treated for serious multiple gunshot wounds to the legs, while a 33-year-old and another 2-year-old were injured from exploding glass at the scene. The suspected assailant, a 40-year-old unnamed man wearing a bulletproof vest, surrendered in an alleyway about 10 minutes later after being chased and cornered by police officers. Officers recovered a rifle, a handgun, and additional magazines of ammunition in the back alley behind the 1600 block of South Fraser Street, where the suspect was taken into custody. Philadelphia Police Commissioner Danielle Outlaw revealed in a press conference that a second person who is believed to have fired back at the shooter for currently unknown motives is also in custody. According to the Gun Violence Archive, this deadly incident is among at least 345 mass shootings that took place in the U.S. so far this year, including a shooting in Fort Worth, Texas, that killed three people on Monday night. All right, thanks for those tragic facts, Eric. We have a left narrative spin from The Guardian. While gun violence has become endemic in the U.S., this problem is even more serious in the period around the 4th of July. Barbecues, block parties, and parades to mark Independence Day are all too often turned into bloodbaths as gunfire erupts from trivial arguments. This has happened as the gun laws are loosened and concealed carry is allowed without a permit or any training. Broad and Liberty gives us a right narrative for this story. While tragic incidents such as the shooting may intensify calls for more gun control legislation in Philadelphia, it's crucial to realize that existing laws could be enough to tackle gun violence had the city's DA not instructed his office not to pursue violators on claims that arresting people for illegal gun possession wouldn't reduce shootings. Proper enforcement of the law and order is the issue here. And Metaculus brings us another nerd narrative. This one says there's a 0.5% chance that the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution will be amended or repealed before the year 2025. Uh, now, do, did you know anything about this shooting in Philly, as close as you are? It is close to home. And you know what I would say is uh, very scary about this? This morning, I, I, I just briefly saw this headline and I honestly thought it was from a shooting that had happened a couple weeks ago. I, I, I kind of got mixed up, and that is a grim reality. Yeah. Um, yeah. That sh- I mean, this shouldn't happen, but they definitely shouldn't be getting uh, lost in the shuffle. That's for sure. This, no. is, a, this is a horrible uh, thing, and it seems like Philadelphia is getting more and more dangerous, sadly. 
I mean, what they say, 345 mass shootings so far this year. It's ridiculous. That's a lot. That is, uh, and, 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 and there are political arguments to be made about what constitutes a mass shooting and, and, and who decides what one is. 341 is too much. I don't care who's counting in any which way. A Russian journalist and a lawyer are savagely attacked in Chechnya. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Metro Weekly, Medusa, Al Jazeera, CBS, The Moscow Times, and the Associated Press. An award-winning Russian investigative journalist and a lawyer were beaten and suffered serious injuries after an attack by gunmen in the Russian Republic of Chechnya this week. Elena Milishina, a journalist for the independent Russian newspaper Novaya Gazeta, a Kremlin critical outlet that was last year stripped of its media license, was traveling from an airport in the Chechen capital of Grozny with lawyer Alexander Nemov when their car was stopped by massed assailants early on Tuesday. Both Milashina and Nemov were taken to a hospital in Grozny, and a human rights group characterized the victims as savagely beaten. Alongside the broken fingers, Milashina was diagnosed with a closed brain injury. Photos of her shared by the Committee Against Torture also showed her covered in blue dye with her head shaved. Nemov was meanwhile treated for a stab wound to the leg. The attack on Milishina was not her first. In 2020, after she broke the story of Chechen authorities' crackdown on gay men who had been abducted, imprisoned, and tortured, she was attacked by a mob of a dozen people, again in the Chechen capital of Grozny. Later that year, she received death threats from Chechen leader Ramzan Kadriov after reporting on the severe coronavirus restrictions he imposed. Tuesday's attack appeared to be orchestrated to prevent Milashina from reporting on the court case of Zarima Musayeva, a Chechen woman who's married to a retired federal judge accused of being disloyal to Katarov. Hours after the attack, Musayeva was found guilty of assaulting officials and fraud and was sentenced to five and a half years in prison. Meanwhile, in contrast with past attacks on journalists, a range of Russian officials condemned the attack and called for a prompt investigation. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said that Russian President Putin was informed of the situation and added that it was a very serious assault that warrants energetic measures from law enforcement. Scott, thank you for those facts. The pro-Russian narrative is coming from TASS. This is a serious attack requiring a strong response from police and officials. The relevant authorities have been briefed so they can launch their investigations. The Associated Press brings us the anti-Russia narrative. Russia is taking an unusually critical stance on this attack. Perhaps Putin and the Kremlin leadership ties with the Chechen leader are strained, and Moscow is leveraging this incident to rein him under their control. Metaculous Prediction Community gives us a nerd narrative. They say there's a 50% chance that The Economist will rank Russia as a democracy in its Democracy Index by October of 2052. Hong Kong issues a bounty for self-exiled activists. Here are the facts as agreed upon by France 24, The Japan Times, Al Jazeera, Hong Kong Free Press, CNN, and NPR Online News. On Monday, Hong Kong police issued arrest warrants and a cash bounty of 1 million Hong Kong dollars or 128,000 U.S. dollars each for information, leading to the arrest of eight pro-democracy activists living in exile. Besides warning the public against financially supporting the activists, which include former lawmakers Ted Hui and Dennis Kwok, the police also ordered the freezing of their assets. 
The political activists allegedly committed serious crimes endangering national security, advocated sanctions, undermined Hong Kong, and intimidated Hong Kong officials. Furthermore, the eight have been accused of violating the country's national security law by colluding and scheming with, quote, foreign countries to undermine Hong Kong's financial status. The self-exiled activists are reportedly based in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., and Australia, countries that have halted participation in extradition treaties with Hong Kong because of the national security law. Under Hong Kong's national security law, passed after widespread anti-Beijing protests took place in 2019, hundreds of pro-democracy campaigners and civil society leaders have been arrested or gone into exile. Well, thanks for those facts, Eric. We have an anti-China narrative from Voice of America. Hong Kong is blatantly threatening the fundamental rights of its citizens by curbing their freedom of expression and assembly. The national security law is used to crush any opposition to the PRC-aligned establishment and silence free media. The democratic nations of the world must protect Hong Kong's pro-democracy figures living in exile. And the pro-China narrative comes from Xinhua Net. It's natural for the West to criticize the Hong Kong police's actions, as the U.S. and the U.K., among others, are sheltering the traitors. However, the PRC will not allow any interference in Hong Kong's rule of law or tolerate any attempts to incite anti-Beijing sentiments that endanger its national security. And we have another nerd narrative from Metaculus. This time they predict there's a 50% chance that Hong Kong will stop being a special administrative region of China by September of 2045. Meta is set to launch its Twitter rival Threads on Thursday. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, Bloomberg, Forbes, The New York Times, and CNN. Facebook's parent company Meta is set to release a text-based conversation app to rival Twitter on Thursday named Threads, with the social media platform already available to pre-order on the Apple App Store. The App Store description portrays the platform as where communities come together to discuss everything, with example screenshots implying that posts can be liked, commented on, and shared alongside allowing users to transfer their Instagram account usernames, a platform also owned by Meta. As per the store's listing, users of Threads are required to be at least 12 years old, and it is believed to be a free service in exchange for transaction of personal data, similar to other apps and services owned by Meta. According to a report in December 2022 from the New York Times, Meta is aiming to capitalize on the instability surrounding Twitter, with one employee writing internally that it was time to attack the platform's, quote, bread and butter. This follows the turbulence Twitter has recently experienced. Commenting on threads, Musk tweeted, Thank goodness they're so sanely run, echoing previous comments by meta executives on his own business management. All right, Scott, thank you for the facts of that story. Our first spin is Narrative A, coming from The Telegraph. Zuckerberg is jumping on the chaos that has ensued at Twitter ever since Musk's takeover last October. Bleeding advertising cash alongside many users actively leaving the platform, Twitter is losing extensive amounts of money and is certainly vulnerable. Although smaller rivals have infected little real damage, Meta and Threads post a much more credible threat to Musk and Twitter. Narrative B comes from The Spectator. Whilst Twitter is undoubtedly facing a period of uncertainty, it will regardless remain a tall order for threads to topple the platform. 
Although Zuckerberg perhaps can succeed where others have failed, the move remains an uninspired and unimaginative one, merely copying Twitter after a string of homegrown failures in tandem with the eye-watering losses the metaverse continues to accrue. We have a nerd narrative coming from Metaculous Prediction Community. It says there's a 46% chance that Twitter's net income will be higher in 2023 than in 2022. I, I don't think that they're trying to beat Twitter at their own game. I think they're trying to be number two in the marketplace in, in case something happens to Twitter overall, you know, and it just it vanishes from the marketplace. Hey, then you they'll know what? just be the last one standing. There's nothing wrong with being number two in this marketplace, that's for sure. <laughs> That's, that's how I feel with me and you. I mean, I'm number two and I'm okay <laughs> yeah, with that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it sure is lonely up here at the top, Scott. I'll, yeah. I'll tell you about it sometime. U.S. groups challenge Harvard's legacy admissions. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Al Jazeera, PBS NewsHour, Fox News, and New York Post. Less than a week after the Supreme Court struck down affirmative action in higher education admissions, three advocacy groups have filed federal civil rights complaints against Harvard College, alleging that its legacy admissions policy for undergraduate applicants with family ties to the school favors an overwhelmingly white group of candidates. The Lawyers for Civil Rights, or LCR, nonprofit representing the Chica Project, the African Community Economic Development of New England, and the Greater Boston Latino Network filed the complaint on Monday. The complaint cites Harvard data that was disclosed amid the Supreme Court affirmative action case that says that 70% of Harvard's applicants with family ties to donors or alumni are white, and being a legacy student makes an applicant around six times more likely to be admitted to the elite school. The LCR adds that Harvard's alleged preference for legacy applicants violates a federal law banning race discrimination for programs that receive federal funds and has asked the Department of Education to investigate the school's admission practices. The group has also said that it may follow up with a lawsuit. Harvard hasn't commented on the new complaint, though the college earlier confirmed that it would respect the Supreme Court ruling ending affirmative action. It emphasized, however, that its essential values remain unaltered. The Supreme Court struck down affirmative action programs at Harvard University and the University of North Carolina on June 29th, ruling that both institutions were in violation of the 14th Amendment and federal civil rights law. This decision essentially ends the practice of overt racial consideration in higher education admissions. All right. Narrative A comes from WBUR Boston. Legacy admission policies are essentially affirmative action for privileged white people. With the recent Supreme Court decision to overturn affirmative action, it's more important than ever to eliminate policies that systematically disadvantage students of color. Applicants should no longer benefit from advantages from prior generations rather than their own merit. Real clear education brings us narrative B. Legacy admissions policies promote strong communities and incentivize donors to give money to schools like Harvard, outcomes that benefit not only legacy candidates but all students at these universities. Non-legacy students are given the opportunity to network with elite social groups, sowing the seeds for a prosperous career. Contrary to popular rhetoric, the practice is a boon for equal opportunity. I mean, that's the way it was when you went to Harvard, right? I mean, you, uh, 
I was waitlisted at Harvard. If oh, I had been a legacy, you? I think I would have had a better. Oh no, you're still on the wait list, aren't you? Yeah, uh, yeah I'm still waiting. Yeah, yeah. I'm, st- I'm still waiting. So Bless we'll see. Hearts. I mean, who knows? As the you know, so yeah. we'll 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 see. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Our final story: Toyota claims a breakthrough can have the cost and size of its batteries. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Financial Times, The Telegraph, and The Guardian. On Tuesday, Japanese car manufacturer Toyota announced it had made a technological breakthrough that would enable it to cut the weight, size, and cost of batteries in half, which would be a major boon to the electric vehicle industry. The world's largest car manufacturer by vehicles sold said it had developed technology for lighter and cheaper solid-state batteries, which would increase the range of EVs. The carmaker said it had simplified the production process of the revolutionary batteries and had been able to solve prior durability issues, estimating that it would be able to commercialize solid-state battery technology in its EVs by 2027 or 2028. Compared to the industry-standard liquid-based lithium-ion batteries, solid-state batteries replace liquid electrolytes with a solid that uses lithium at the anode instead of graphite. Toyota claims the batteries would give EVs a range of 1,200 kilometers and a charging time of 10 minutes or less. Since first announcing its solid-state battery roadmap last month, Toyota shares have increased by 13%. Scott, thanks for those facts. Our first spin is Narrative A, and it's coming from CEO Insight Asia. Toyota is on the path to creating a groundbreaking technology that would not only improve the cost and production of electric vehicles, but would also play a key role in the fight for environmental sustainability. Toyota has been at the cutting edge of technology and has wisely devoted time and resources to solid-state battery development. It seems like the efforts have paid off, as the revolutionary batteries could be available by 2027. Narrative B comes from Clean Technica. While it would be great to believe that Toyota has actually produced game-changing technology that will revolutionize the auto industry, the reality is more complex. Toyota has claimed for years that it is on the brink of some breakthrough, but has been lagging behind other industry leaders in EVs. Toyota has no concrete details about its plan and praises should be postponed until material progress is actually made. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Wednesday, July 5th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Steiner inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News. Improve the News.